Yes, so today's daf is daf hey in Shkalim. We are going to be on daf dalid amud bet. We are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve lines from the bottom of the amud. Achin v'shutafin shechayavin bekolbon turin mazer beima. Okay, so we the the Mishnah spoke about again. We have this idea of the kolbon. The kolbon is basically a an extra surcharge, extra fee that you pay when you give machatzit shekel. Now, according to Rabbi Meir, you always pay it, even if you're pay, even if you're giving a machatzit shekel, you always pay the extra surcharge. According to Chachamim, you only get you only give this extra surcharge in a situation where you're giving a whole shekel and they have to make change. They have to break it into machatziot shekel. So then you give the uh, change. But it said before that if the bro- if brothers are partners and they give from the estate of the father a whole shekel on behalf of both of them, so it would be just as if the father was giving on behalf of his son, so therefore they don't have to br- do the kolbon. However, if they, are, uh, if they are working as partners where they pooled together their assets... So that's different. In other words, if the father's estate is still intact, they haven't divided it yet, that's one thing. If they divide it and then they recombine, that's another thing. So that's what the Mishnah is going to say. That's what the Gemara is going to say. Achin v'ashut v'chayavin b'kolbon. When they are obligated in the kolbon, meaning when they broke up the, uh, the estate, they divided already, but then if they recombine, right, that's what it says, v'shechalku v'chazu v'nishtatfu. So when are they going to be, uh, they're going to be obligated in the kolbon, but, but not obligated in maser behema, because what you have is, it's, it's the reverse. In other words, when you're obligated in the kolbon is when it's one entity giving on behalf of the two sons. But when are you, uh, when are you not obligated in maser behema? It's when they're partners. If it's still one entity, the estate, so that will, uh, that will uh, make you exempt from kolbon, but it'll make you obligated in maser behema, because it's still considered one entity that owns the animals, right? And when is it that they're going to be able to, uh, they're going to be exempt from the, uh, uh, from the Maser Beima, and they're going to be, uh, they're going to be exempt from the Kolbom, but they're going to be obligated in Maser Beima. That's going to be when Bishelo Chalku, when it's still one entity. In other words, when the estate is still one entity. So since it's one, per, it's as if the father is giving the Machatzit Shekel for the son, so it doesn't have to pay the surcharge. But since it's one, under one auspices of the father, so therefore the Maser Beima is going to be obligated. On the other hand, if they separated they, they dissolved the part, the, uh, they were, they divided up the estate already, so they're looked at as two entities. So even if they pull together and they bring the machatzita shekel together, they have to bring, the, in that case, they're going to have to bring the kolbom because it's not one entity giving on behalf of them. And maser behema, they'll be exempt because maser behema, once they're partners, partners don't have to do maser behema as we learned about when we learned about maser behema and masechet arachin at the end. Now, uh, the thing is, he says that's only true if they split up different things. In other words, the guy said, I'll take the goats, you take the sheep. You take the uh, this, I'll take this. In other words, they split it up different things. But if they, if they divide up the estate evenly, in other words, they say, okay, there's a thousand sheep, I take 500, you take 500. There's a thousand goats, I take 500, you take 500. They're not really doing anything. They're not making any exchange, right? So since they're not making any exchange... Right, so that doesn't that doesn't really make it anything new. In other words, the estate is still what it was. It says if that was always what they were going to get, and it hasn't changed. So even though they divided up the estate, we still look at it as one entity. It's just like they're sharing the entity. They didn't really make any changes because initially there were a thousand goats, and there's still a thousand goats. It's just that half of them were taken by one, half were taken by the other. But basically, they're still in uh, participating in the same thing. We don't view it as separated unless they make some kind of an exchange. 
where one guy gets the barley and one guy gets the wheat or something else that where it's not even. Right? So Amr Rabbi Yochanan. Even if they, uh, even if they make a trade where they split it in half evenly, and they uh, and they each get, in other words, they each get the same thing, uh, sheep for sheep and goats for goats, still they're still going to be considered like they acquired from each other. In other words, it's still a deal because the fact is that they all, all of it, belong to them equally. And they're splitting, so they're still making a trade because one guy's getting half of the sheep and the other guy's getting half the sheep. One guy's getting, so it's still considered to be a uh, um, um, a process. So it's a division of the partnership. So then, even if they decide to pool their assets together and work together, since they split up the estate, it's a, it's two estates combining together. It's a partnership now again. It's not the original estate. So that's the machloket. The machloket is, in other words, if nothing materially changes, that basically there were a thousand sheep before, there's a thousand sheep now, and the brothers are working together. So you're not going to notice any difference between what was before and what was now. So Rabbi Lazar is saying it's like the original Fusatabait. It's like the original estate never really changed anything. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, since technically speaking, they actually made a division and the, the ownership changed, even though it doesn't look on the surface like anything changed because the same thousand sheep, the same thousand goats, but still, uh, still the, um, we're going to consider it to be a new thing that's been constituted. As we learned, somebody who purchases Maser Bema, um, who purchases animals. In other words, when do you have to give Maser? Only if the animal is born in your possession. In other words, you had the animal that was born. And that's these ten, you know, the animals are born and then you take the first every ten and give it to Maser. It's only if it's born. But if you purchase it, you're not going to have to give Maser from that. And, uh, and so the fact that they split up the, uh, they split up the, um, uh, the partnership, uh, they split up the estate between them, even though uh, basically they ha- nothing has changed because there was a thousand sheep before and there's a thousand sheep now just that one brother owns half and one brother owns half and they're working together. You can't even tell the difference. The fact is that they made a kind of a kinyan. They made a kind of a new acquisition here. And so therefore the Maser Bema is not going to have to be given from that. And that's what Rabbi Yochanan said. Now Rabbi Chia said, Amar Rabbi Yirmiya, Ba'e, they asked the following. Why don't we say, Couldn't you have a situation where they are obligated in both the Kolbon and also in Maser Behema, or where they are uh, exempt from both? Because the Mishnah only talks about when, you, when you're obligated in one, you're going, to be, uh, you're going to be off the hook for the other one, because it goes by whether it's one entity or it's considered two entities, so it's, and they have the reverse outcome. Kolbon, when it's two entities, you have to give. Maser uh, Behema, when it's two entities, you don't have to give. So it's, the question is, well, you know, why can't you have a situation where both? So what would that be? Heich avida. What case would that be? So skip the parentheses. It says, Let's say they only divided up the money, but they didn't divide up the animals. They left the animals as the estate. Okay, so chayafin bazel bazel. They should be obligated in both. In other words, the maser behemah, they should still be obligated in because it still belongs to the estate of the father. They didn't split it up. The money... They split up, so now when they give machatzit shekel, it's a partnership, right? So they should really have to give the kolbon. It's not an, it's not the original estate. It's them, each of them combining together to, to be into one coin, right? So it should work that way. Similarly, you could have a situation where they're exempt from both. They divided up the animals and then reconstituted a partnership, so to speak. That would mean. Then now they don't have to do Maser Behema. On the other hand, if they, uh, if they, uh, didn't divide up the money. So when they're giving the money, they're paying with a check from the father's estate, so to speak. They're taking a coin from the father's estate and paying for the Machatzit Shekel. They wouldn't have to bring Kolbon. So you could be, you could actually be exempt from both. Now you could be exempt from Maser Behema because they acquired their respective portions from the estate. It wasn't the original estate of the animals, right? 
So then actually whether they, whether they recombine or not wouldn't even matter because if they, because it's not even a, what, that they're partners, it's that they purchased the animals, right? If they, if they were partners, yes, but also even if they purchased animals, we said purchased animals, they don't take master once you purchased it, right? So either way, they wouldn't have to bring it anymore. So you could be exempt from both. That's only if the majority of the assets of the estate were not animals. If they split up the animals, it's like they're splitting up the whole estate. So that's a separate point. But it's true. If they had a large holding of animals and also of money, and they only divided up one of those things, that could affect only one of those things and not the other. But if the majority is animals, he's saying, and they divide that, it's like they divided the whole, uh, they divide the entire property. So he said that, Rabbi Avin said that Rabbi Shimi asked the following, Because you're making him like one person regarding Maser Beima, you're exempting him from the Kolbon. In other words, you're saying that when, it's, when the estate is one, um, and uh, that, uh, that w- w- in which case you're giving a coin from the father's estate and you are exempting the, uh, you're exempting the sons from the kolbon and therefore you're saying that uh, they're going to be obligated in maaser, uh, in maaser beima. Right? So, it, so what is he saying? So it says, and, and the, the korban aida explains, it says, Why should it be that just because you're treating it as one entity for one thing, we should, we should apply the same rule to the other thing. The fact is they might be paying out of their own pocket. Who knows where they're paying it from? Why are you exempting them from just because you're obligating them in um, in maser uh, because the because the uh, estate is one thing, right? So why should you exempt them from the kolbon? Why should why why should it be? Amale lo shanyahi We're talking about where they gave one coin, right? In other words, and since they gave one coin together. That's why we're treating that way. It's not that we're saying, in other words, he misunderstood. He thought that they were saying that, oh, since the estate is still one and therefore they're going to be obligated in Maser Beima, they never divided up the estate. Therefore, even if they each give a machatzit shekel separately, we're going to not require them to pay the surcharge. No, that's not what it means. It means that if they take one coin from the estate and give it that they're going to be exempt because they're paying on behalf of the state. Fine. Why don't we say that even if they divide up the estate and they reunite into a partnership, right? They should be obligated in Maser Behema again and they should be exempt from the Kolbon. Right? So the thing is that you might have thought that, uh, that if they divide up the estate and they reconstitute it, it should be as if they, brought, they recreated the original estate again. Right, so that's the chidush. The chidush of the Mishnah is that even though really basically what they did was they divided up the estate, but then they just created it again. So we should say that it goes back to the original form. We don't say that. Once they divided up the estate, even though they uh, basically when they recom- recombine, they're coming back to the, uh, the status that it had before. We don't say it's as if they never divided up the estate. We don't revert back to the, to the situation where it was one entity again. It will always be considered a partnership once they divide up the estate and they reconstitute the estate. We don't say that it's, uh, it goes back to its original status. Okay, so now, and that's why the Mishnah says they'll be obligated in the Kolbon then because they're partners. They're not, they don't have their father's estate anymore, but they'll be exempt from Maser Beima because there is a, a partnership involved there. Rabbi Ba, Abba Barav, Huna, 
Uh, he so it says that Rabbi Ba in the name of of uh, Abba Bar Rav Huna said he shnei achim shirshuat avihen. To really, the two dots here is misleading because it's a continuation of what we said before. Because even though the Gemara asked, what, it's stated that the Mishnah says that if brothers divide up the estate and they put it back together, it doesn't go back to being the original estate of the father anymore. Even though it looks like that, he's explaining why. So the two dots are misleading because he's explaining why. It says, Right, so that's another thing. Right, so he says that two brothers who inherited their father divided up the estate and reconstituted are like two brothers-in-law who did the same thing. What does he mean, two brothers-in-law? Meaning, right? In other words, once the brothers received their respective pieces of the estate, right, it's a new phenomenon. So the fact that they come back together and make a new combination is not the original thing. It's just like if two brothers-in-law. How could two brothers-in-law inherit? Two guys marry sisters, right? So then, the, 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 and the father of the sisters dies. So the sisters would inherit from their father. And then the sisters die. So what happens? These two brothers-in-law that have no relationship to each other family otherwise, other than that we're by marriage, right? So now they inherited their father-in-law's estate indirectly through the... Uh, through the so now if they, become, uh, if they become partners, you're going to say that it's the original estate again? No, why would you? They have no relationship to each other. Right? It was totally indirect. So the same way, if two brothers, he's explaining why is it that the Mishnah says the question was, the two dots are misleading because it sounds like it just left it up in the air. Like, well, that's just what the Mishnah says. It just says that if they divide it and they recombine, that it's not one estate. But why not? Same because you see that it's a new phenomenon because it would, it would be the same as a situation where two unrelated people inherit from the same source because they were married into the same family and they recombine. We don't call it the original thing. Right? And now it says, What happens to this kolbon payment, this extra surcharge? What, where, where does it go to? It's not machatit shekel, but what's it used for? Rabbi Meir Omer Lishkalim. Now, Rabbi Meir is the one that says that even when you give machatit shekel normally, without any, uh, even when you don't give a full coin, no matter what, you always give the surcharge of the, of the extra kolbon. So, of course, it goes to the same thing as the machatit shekel, because it's kind of like an extra amount. On the machatit shekel, Rabbi Lazar Omer Lindava. He says it goes to Lindava. In other words, it goes to um, korbanot that are going to be um, that are going to be brought when there's nothing else happening on the uh, in the, you know they called kaitza mizbech. It's the extra korbanot that are brought when they, when they run out of uh, of korbanot to bring, and it, they don't want the mizbech to be empty. Rabbi Shimon Shizri Omer rikuazav etzipul bet kodesh kodeshim. They use this extra money to do the gold uh, plating inside the kodesh kodeshim. Uh, ben Azai has the, says, no, it was just what they paid the money changers for doing the work. Right, yeah, that's what it sounds like also. Yeah. Some say it was for the transporting of the, uh, of the uh, shkalim from place to place because they had to pay for that too. So that's a more mundane interpretation. The point is that there's a lot of different possibilities what it could have been used for. That's the, that's the end of that parak. And now we come to the new parak. Mishra says, Mitzarfin shkalim, Darkonop what they would do was, they would collect the shkalim in a lot of different cities, right? A lot of different places. So what would they do? They would combine them. To, let's say they had, uh, they would have like thousands of shkalim. So it's very heavy. So what they would do was, they would they would transfer the kedushah into gold. So they would have less less pieces. So because it was more expensive, less pieces. And they would carry them if they must because of the heaviness of carrying it. And then when they would get to the other side. So the Beit Hamikdash, then they would tra- they would make it machatz the shekel again, but they would they but they would transfer the kedushan gold, so they didn't have to transport such heavy amounts of silver. Um, just like they had these, 
they had these like uh, kupots, like shof- it's called they call them shofarot because they were shaped like a shofar. They were wide on the top and narrow on the bottom, so they so people couldn't steal from it. Right? They would have these little things in the bed of for people to drop in their machatzit shekel. They had it in the other uh, throughout the country as well. Let's say a person sends their machatzit shekel with a with a messenger. Okay. And what happens? They get stolen. The guy gets uh, robbed, or, uh, or or he loses it. So So we're going to learn more about what trumat was. But basically, three times a year, I had mentioned it earlier. So three times a year, right before the chagim, right before Pesach, right before Shavuot, right before Sukkot, they would take some from the. They, what they did was when they collected the shkalim, they brought it into a chamber, and in this chamber, this uh, they would they would have three big boxes, three big containers, okay, in the three or baskets, containers, whatever they would put in these three containers, most of the shkalim, and then whatever was extra would just be on the floor of the of the chamber. So what they would do was three times a year they would take from each of the three containers the shkalim. They would take some from each. And they did it in a rotation. So what, at the first holiday, they would do the first basket first, the second basket second, third basket third. The then they would do the third basket first. Th- Why? Just to make sure that each no one gets any favoritism. You know, each basket gets it. So they had a routine. So the point was that they took from each one some money, and that was going to cover them for the next quarter or the next trimester, I guess, uh, of the... Uh, yeah, till the next Chag. So that, that, and that was called Trumat so at the moment that they took Chumat Alishka, they always had in mind, we are taking, because obviously they don't use all the money. They don't use all the machatita shekel for that year. There's always leftover. So whatever they're taking is called Chumat Alishka. It's what they actually take out to actually use. And then they have to deconsecrate and reconsecrate the shkalim. We'll learn about that later, what they did with the leftover. But, but for now, what they did was they took, they took the shkalim. They, uh, they, what they did, they repurposed the other shkalim for other things that are less, that are not korbanot. We'll see. But what they, what they did was when they took this trumata uh, 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 shkalim, so they had in mind not only for the money that's already arrived, but this is to cover also for the money that's on its way because they didn't want to wait for every, uh, you know, all the money to get there because they had to do the first one right before Pesach. And it was, and they only had from Adar people started sending. So they, you know, they, they didn't have the uh, opportunity to, uh, uh, to wait for one because they were doing it right on the first of Nisan basically they, they were already doing a Chumat and some people's money didn't get there yet so they would have in mind so if they already did the Chumat at the time so that means that the money that was on its way already belonged to the Bet HaMikdash because they had already taken the money out that was to represent it okay so there, therefore that money that was in the hand of the Shaliach really belonged so the Beit Hamikdash already. So therefore, what is it? So that Shomer, that guy who was responsible for the money that you sent, Nishbayin the Gizbarin, he has to swear that he did not do anything wrong, just like a Shomer normally. Anytime you have a Shomer, you learn about it in Masachet Baba Metziah. You have Shomrim. So anytime the Shomrim are, uh, you know, are negligent or they are, you know, they lose whatever they were watching, they have to swear that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't their fault. They have to swear that they didn't fail in their mission, that they didn't do anything. Uh, it's going to talk about that. It's going to talk about that in the Gemara. But the Shomer Chinam would be for anything. Shomer Sachar would be more of a problem. But here it's saying if it was stolen or lost. So that would be, if, who can swear on stolen and lost? Only Shomer Chinam. 
But we'll see. The Gemara will say. So now, in the in the um, so the, assuming it's Shomer Chinam for now. But the point is, he has to swear to the Gizbarin, to the to the uh, treasurers of the Beit Hamikdash. Why? Because he really what he lost already belonged to the Beit Hamikdash by the time by the time he lost it. Okay, Vimlav. If not, if it was before the Sunday of Neir, then he has to swear to the people of the town because really he failed to uh, fulfill his obligation to them. And in that case. When the money went missing before the truma was done, before they took the money from the uh, from the chamber in the Beit Hamikdash to use it, so therefore it had not yet been consecrated, and therefore it still belonged to the Bnei Ha'ir, and therefore the city people are going to have to give more money now. Okay, so that's a shame for that. So so then nimtzeu so if either it's found or the 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 thieves feel bad, they find that it was machatzita shekel that they stole, so they return it. Right, so then what happens? Elu elu shkalim. So both the first shkalim they gave and the second ones are going to be shkalim. But it's not going to count for next year's shekel. In other words, they're both going to be holy, but they're going to be for ne- for this year or for la- counted for last year or for this year, but not for no next re- year. They no can't refund. do ahead. No right, they can't do it ahead. Exactly. They can't, and, and no refund either. Right. So now that only happens if it went lost before they did Shumat So meaning they sent the money, let's say, in Adar, and in this. And in the middle of Adar, he, the, the Shomer was drunk on Purim, and he lost it, okay? So now what happens? Or, or they got stolen. So now the, the obligation is on the city people, because the, the Bet HaMikdash never received that money. Um, now, Gemara says, So why did why'd they decide to make it gold? Why not pearls? Why, why did they decide to... So pearls are even lighter. It would be easier to transport. Less expensive. Yeah, that's it. You never know what's going to happen with gems. The market is less reliable. Could become cheaper. Right? And then what will happen is that when you go, when you get to the other side, to the Beit HaMikdash, and you want to transfer the Kedusha from the pearls onto the silver, it could be that now the pearls are worth less and you can't do it anymore. Right? Like we learned over there with regard to redeeming other Hekadesh. You can always redeem things from the Beit HaMikdash with money or with Shave Kesef or with any object that's worth money. But you can't do that with Shkalim. And you also cannot redeem things with kelim. Why can't you use kelim to redeem things? Because uh, the reason why you can't use kelim is because if you use kelim, let's say you you have a certain obligation to the Beit you have something that's supposed to go to the Beit HaMikdash uh, uh, and you want to, re- you, you you decided to consecrate something in the Beit HaMikdash and you want to redeem it for uh, for kelim. Kelim, the, the, the value... F- Fluctuates too much, so so right. So it depreciates too quickly. So therefore, we can't uh, we can't rely on that. Same thing here. That if we if we put the money from the machatzita shekel onto the pearls, maybe the value will go down, and now you won't um, you won't be able to. You'll be cheating the betamikdash. This is only true about nushkali, meaning that they had an ability. They put shofarot, they call it, which really is like a kupa. They put like a tzedakah box, basically, for the shkalim. Only for this year. For, yeah, the pushka they go. Right? For, for the new shkalim. Not for next year's, not for the previous shkalim. So even if you had an outstanding debt of shkalim from last year, right, you can't pay it now. In the, you have to go to the Beit HaMikdash and pay it in person. <clears throat> but if you 
if you owe uh, the current shekel, they had a they had a special place for you to put it. But then they have a, 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 with these different kinds of coins. No, it's not talking about that. No, talking about what you owed before. What you owed before? Yeah. Right, right, right. Meaning, when it says old, it means your previous yeah, obligation. Yeah. And it says also that uh, you, they had a special place for people to pay their old machatzit shekel in the Beit Hamikdash, but not. In any other place. Matnitin b'shomer chinam. This is your question. Shomer chinam is what we're talking about here. Aval b'shomer sechar lo bedan. Not in that case. Not in the shomer sechar. Why? Because shomer sechar is liable even for gneva v'aveda. Even if something gets stolen or lost, you're paying him to watch it. He can't say it was stolen or lost. What do you mean? So what's the point of paying you? Right. Yeah, exactly. You pay somebody for what? It's one thing if a guy's doing you a favor. It gets stolen or lost. Okay. He, he was doing you a favor. You can't really complain that much. But you're paying somebody to watch it. Then you better expect that they're gonna, you know, that they can't just say, "Well, it got stolen, it got lost." You know, what do you mean? That was your job. Why do you mean? Here is a shaliach. shaliach. Right, but he's a considered a shomer. He's, he's, you know, it's like uh, it, it's like if you send something by the mail and you say, "I don't want insurance. I don't want return receipt. I don't want anything. Just send it." So then, if they lose it, sorry, we lost it. You know, too bad for you. But if you said no, I'm going to pay for re- registered mail, insurance mail, whatever. So it's like shomer sachar. So now, if they don't do it, it's like, what do you mean? I paid for this to be guaranteed going to get there. So you can't just tell me it got lost. You know, that's not acceptable. So same thing. So it says no. Even there, I'm Rabbi Abav Afilush Temar b'shomer sachar negnevo belistim isuyan because even a shomer sachar, if he gets robbed at gunpoint. It's onus. That's he's 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 off the hook. Or avidu kemishe tavasfinato bayam. Or let's say he's going on the boat, and it sinks in the water. You can't now. He he was saved by a lifeboat, obviously, because otherwise he wouldn't be here to tell about it. But the point is that it sunk in the water. He can't. You can't say, well, why you're responsible for that? It was onus. It's beyond his control, right? Uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, so therefore, he would be uh, he would be not liable. So he would swear that it wasn't his fault, and he'd be out. I'm Rabbi Yosti, Rabbi Simon. So this is like we said that uh, this is following the view that when they take the Chumat when they take out the money that's going to be used for the next uh, period of time, they have in mind even for the money that hasn't reached the Beit HaMikdash yet. That's why if they have already done that, they've already had in mind the money that this Shaliach is bringing. So it already became part of the Beit HaMikdash ownership. Right, uh, but if we don't, if we follow the opinion that no, when they take Chumat Lishkat only counts for the money that arrived already, so then the fact that they did the Chuma, they separated out some money to use, and the Beit Hamikdash wouldn't affect the money that's en route, that's in the hands of this, uh, in the hands of this uh, Shaliach. But, but we hold that even the, that when they take it, they're having in mind even for the money that hasn't arrived yet, and that's why. This is Rabbi Shimon, who says that if they sent the Shkalim, this will happen, right? Um, uh, because he says, Rabbi the, the, uh, the Kodashim, in other words, why do the why do the uh, uh, why does the uh, uh, the shaliach have to swear that he didn't fail? Um, he's swearing to the uh, to the to the ha'ir. He's swearing to the townspeople. Why? Normally, if something goes wrong with hekdesh, they gave it as machatzit shekel. 
The, why, why are they swearing to the Bnei Ha'ir? They, it's not theirs, actually. It's not their property. They gave it to Shema Chatzit HaShekel. You know, maybe they have to give Numa Chatzit HaShekel because it didn't actually arrive, but the fact is that it's not really their property. So why are you making this Shomer swear to the, to, to the Bnei Ha'ir? It's not really their property. So the answer is we're holding like Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon says that anything that's Chayav Bachayuto, that you will have, that if it gets lost, you're going to have to repay it. Like if you have a certain, a, a korban, let's say, that you said, Hare Alai, I'm going to bring a korban. And then you designate a korban for that. Even if the korban gets lost, you still have to replace it. Right? So according to Rabbi Shimon, that animal, even though it's hekdesh, because you designated as a korban, the fact is it's yours in a way, because if it gets lost, you're going to have to replace it. So to hear the shkalim, since they're getting lost, means that now the townspeople have to replace it, so therefore it's considered like theirs. Maybe, okay? Otherwise, they're going to be really upset if it doesn't That's another story. Yeah, I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Right? Rabbi Yochanan says, no, even according, not just according to Rabbi Shimon. You're right, technically, according to Rabbi Shimon, it makes more sense, because why would they be making an oath about a, a loss when it's not really their direct loss? That's true. But Rabbi Yochanan says, no, it's a special takana. Meshum shavuat takana. The rabbis made a special takana so that the shomer would be careful. In other words, they didn't want the shomer to think he's going to get, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter because even if I lose it, whatever, they, you know, I don't have to swear. Or they, they didn't want that. So they made the shvua, special shvua, even though it doesn't really belong to him. So it makes sense actually because according to Rabbi Yochanan, what ha- according to the Mishnah, what happens if the person, if, the, if they had already done the chuma, they had already separated out of the money in the Beit HaMikdash. Having in mind the money that was on the way, we said that, that what does the Shomer have to do? He has to swear to the Gizbar. He has to swear to the treasurer. Why? If it, it belongs to the Beit HaMikdash, why is he swearing to the treasurer? Right? So it makes sense according to Rabbi Yochanan. Right? That's why Nichan Nishmaim the Gizbarim Vim Lav Nishmaim Right? So it makes sense. It makes sense that they, they would swear, that the Shomer has to swear to somebody. In other words, either he has to swear to the uh, original townspeople who are going to have to give Nushkalim, or he's going to have to swear to the treasurer of the Beit HaMikdash, but he has to do something. Right? But, Right? So the question is, according, we understand that what Rabbi Lazar says, he says that, the, that we're saying that the, he has, that the reason why the Shomer has to swear to the townspeople is because we hold like Rabbi Shimon, that since this loss is going to require them to give new money, it's as if that money still kind of belonged to them, even though it was Hekdesh, it really kind of belonged to them because they're going to have to replace it, right? But why would they have to, in a case where the Chuma was already done in the Beit HaMikdash, why does he have to swear to the Gizbar? Why would he have to swear to the treasurer of the Beit HaMikdash? He doesn't know anything to the treasurer of the Beit HaMikdash. Right? If it already became the possession of the Beit HaMikdash, the townspeople won't even have to pay for it anymore. Right? So he doesn't have to swear to them. Why would he have to swear to the, to the Beit HaMikdash? It's between him and Hashem. Why does he have to swear to the treasurer? Right? That doesn't make any sense. It makes sense according to Rabbi Yochanan that it's a fixed takana that the Shomer, always, a Shomer of Shkalim is always going to have to swear. Fine. He has to swear to somebody. Why would he have to swear here? The townspeople are off the hook. They already fulfilled their obligation. The Beit HaMikdash, why is he swearing to the treasurer? Rather, what does he say? But it says, Nishba'im libnei ha'ir b'mamad gizbarim Right, that the reason is, so the point is that the uh, 
that we don't want, it's not that they have to swear to the Gizbarim themselves, to the treasurers themselves. They swear to the Bnei Ha'ir, to the people of the city, in the presence of the, the treasurer. In other words, the Shomer has to take responsibility for what happened in front of everybody. Why? So they won't suspect that city, that maybe that city didn't really pay, right? Or or think that they, you know, that they are criminals, that they have, you know, that there's something going on here that was, that was not right. Right or that that the uh, uh, that uh, that they did something wrong. That says even though the um, even though the uh, the the bnei ir accepted upon themselves that they would even pay. Right, even though they said even though the bnei ir say that they will pay, still we never let hekdesh go without some kind of shvua. In other words, there has to be somebody to take responsibility for it. So no matter what happens, um, even if the, in other words, even if the Bnei Ir said, oh, you know what, it got lost and really we're not obligated to pay for it, but uh, we want to give anyway. Still, the fact is that you can never just t- treat it so lightly without the, the Shomer taking responsibility and making an oath and demonstrating that he really, uh, that he really um, uh, you know, w- was the one who was responsible for the failure. Now, if what happens if the person separated the shekel, machatzit the shekel, and it got lost? Rabbi Yochanan says that even though you separate the shekel, machatzit the shekel, and you could say, wherever it is in the world that belongs to Hashem, he's going to be until he makes sure that it actually reaches the hands of the treasurer of the Beit HaMikdash, he's still liable for it. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish Wherever that coin is, it belongs to Hashem, and you don't have any responsibility for it. You see, from our Mishnah, that, uh, that that's not true, because if it's true that what Resh Lakish says, that when you separate Hekdesh, it belongs to Hashem wherever it is, so you don't have to make up for it, so then why in our Mishnah does it say that if the person, uh, that if the townspeople, their Shekel gets lost on the way, that they have to pay up for it, they have to replace it, why should that be? We should say that wherever the Shkalim are, they really belong to the Beit HaMikdash, and it's not the problem of the, uh, of the city dwellers to make up for what was lost, because according to Rish Lakish, wherever it is, it belongs to Hashem. So it says, really, what is it? And he says, it says, Odhi Mishum Takana. That's what it should say, according to the ground aside, that, uh, and he explains that in other words the reason is that really they're not te- the Resh Lakish will tell you they're not really technically obligated to pay for the shkali because wherever they are they belong to Hashem they don't really have to pay but we don't want people to take it so lightly that oh you know it got lost good now we don't have to pay anymore they don't want people, they want to make sure because that way what will happen the owners will make sure to get the best shaliach. They're going to make sure to get the insurance and get this and that and make sure that everything is right because they know they're going to be liable for it if it doesn't work out. We don't want them to take it lightly, so therefore we require them to pay in that case. Even though technically, according to Rish Lakish, you don't really need, they didn't, technically they were off the hook because they, they, they made it Hekadesh and that was it. So we said that the, whatever they gave, right, when they have to replace the shkalim, both sets of shkalim, even if they originally one was found, they both become shkalim. So the question is, uh, it says that the first shkalim become new shkalim. The second shkalim become like last year's shkalim, which means they go to the general fund that does other things, but they don't necessarily, they don't go to the, uh, to the korbanot for this year or for next year. The question is, what's first and what's last? Rabbi Mari. 
So you have a uh, you have two opinions in this matter. One is Rabbi Pinchas, and one is Rabbi Abba Mari. What does he say? Chad Amar Elu Shalchubrei The question is, which one is considered first and second? Because he said the first one counts as Shkalim, the second one doesn't count as Shkalim. Which is first and second? Is the first one mean? Does the first one mean the first that they sent? That, when they find it again, will be the uh, actual shkalim, and whatever they sent to replace it when they thought it was lost, that will go to the general fund. Or no, no, it means the first one that the Gizbarin received, the first one that the Beit HaMikdash received, will be considered shkalim, and that is the second set, because they, they, they sent as replacement, and then when they found the first set, that's considered second, because it got to the Beit HaMikdash second. So that's left as a question, the Gemara says it's a machloket, and in fact, even the Rambam, when, he's, uh, when he says the Alachor, he says, some say, it means the first, he doesn't even give a ruling. He says, some say, the first that reached the Beit HaMikdash is considered first. Some say the first that, that they sent is considered the first. Even he doesn't give an answer to it. Now, the, the next halacha says, A person says to his friend, Hey, here's my machatzit shekel. Would you mind uh, bringing it to the Beit HaMikdash for me? And the guy says, Sure, but then what did he do? Uh, he decided, But he decided to make it his own. Right? In other words, he, he, he tricked him. He took his machatzit shekel and he gave it as his own. So it says, Im nitruma truma ma'al. If the truma was taken from the trumat alishkan, in other words, they, con- they consecrated the shkalim, okay? So then he actually committed me'ilah. Why? Because that, uh, we know that any coin, even if it's not yet in the hands of the Beit HaMikdash, already becomes holy from the moment that they separate out the money that they've already collected to start to use it. And so that coin that he had from his, that his friend set aside as machatzit shekel was actually already belonged to Hekadesh. Right, and he used it to pay off his own obligation of 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 machatzit uh, shekel. So he actually was a you know was really a crook against Tekdish, not not against his friend. What did he give Tekdish anyway? Yeah, but it's not anymore because he he gave him less because his, he's giving his friend's coin as his coin. So he's he's satisfying his obligation. Uh, with his friend's coin, he stole it. He stole it. Right, he stole it basically. Hashokel shiklo it says that if the person took a shekel from Hekdesh, let's say he had other Hekdesh money, money that was designated for the Beit Mikdash, and he took that and gave his machatzit a shekel, right? So it says if, again, if they use it now, now the truma of the Beit Mikdash, they take the coins that they're going to use and they actually bring an animal using the machatzit a shekel, and now his money is in there and it was actually Hekdesh, he used it, it was actually Hekdesh already. So uh, then he's consi- he committed Mi'ilah against the original Hekdesh because he originally already was Hekdesh and now he used it to satisfy his obligation of, of, of the Ma'asir Sheni with Shvit. If he took money from Ma'asir Sheni or, or from Shvi'it money, money that was used for, uh, to purchase, uh, to sell uh, 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 Shemitah produce. So that money has Kedushah can only be used to buy other Shemitah produce. You can't use it for anything else. He can deconsecrate that money and make it into machzit shekel. The Gemara is going to explain how he could do that, though. Uh, but we, it, it's uh, it, it's a there's a process involved. Now the Gemara says hashokel v'chulei anantanin kavah beima v'tanet ve'rabi im nitra tumat. So this is very confusing because there are multiple um, uh, multiple uh, versions of this text. The way it says here is our Mishnah says if the animal was brought and in Rabbi, and Rabbi said if the truma was done. In other words, if you look at the Mishnah, the first half mentions. That when do we define the, the, the shekel as being in the possession of the, of the Beit HaMikdash and being used? From the moment that they in the Beit HaMikdash separate out money to use it. So then whatever shkalim are out there in the world became part of the machatzit shekel 
treasury at that moment, right? But then in the end, it says, if the guy gives from a Hekdesh coin, right, if they already separated the money and offered a korban with it, then he becomes liable. Why does it have to be that they offered a korban with it? Right? So there are different girsaot here in terms of how the Gemara flows, what the, they have the one in parentheses, they have the one afterwards. But then it says, Man Rebbe Shimoni. So we're skipping the parentheses for a second, but the point, the main point is that there's a machloket in general about when money becomes deconsecrated. If the, if the Beit HaMikdash goes and buys animals, let's say, from a dealer, when does that money become deconsecrated? So Rabbi Shimon says from the moment that they give the money to this person that they're buying the animal from, the money becomes chulin in the hands of the dealer of the animals and the animal becomes kodesh. That's the way that that's, that's Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon. That you pay the guy right away, the dealer. Okay? And we're not worried. Because what was the concern? The concern was we give the, the dealer money for the korban. He, it's deconsecrated right away. He take, the Kohanim take the animal and something is wrong with it or, or they mess up with the, uh, with, with the Korban and it's not really done properly. Right? So, the, so according to Chachamim, we only deconsecrate the money. The funds only become deconsecrated after the Korban is offered. Okay? So that would be the difference. So that would be the, uh, the difference. In other words, the, the part of the Mishnah that said we have to wait for the, for the Korban to be brought, that's according to the Chachamim who say that the money isn't really considered to be uh, deconsecrated until an actual korban is brought with that money, and then the money retroactively loses its kedusha. According to Rabbi Shimon, no, from the moment that they pay the dealer, <coughs> the money is deconsecrated. So that would be the difference in wh- at what point the person who gave a machatzita shekel that he wasn't supposed to is liable for giving that machatzita shekel. Would it have to wait until the korban is after actually brought with that money? So that's at the moment that it becomes deconsecrated, or would he ha- would it have to be? Uh, at the moment that the money is set aside, basically is is taken out to be used, and, and wouldn't have to necessarily be uh, uh, that an animal was brought with it. Now, the problem is if I take a shekel, machatita shekel from my friend, and I give it, and I say I'm having in mind this is my machatita shekel, right? How does that work? Because if I took my friend's korban ola. To the bed of Mikdash, and I gave it to the Kohen to offer. Can I offer it for my uh, debt? <coughs> for my obligation? No, it'll still be credited to my friend. It doesn't matter that I brought it, it's going to go to my friend. So why won't his machatita shekel also go to him? Why would it go to me? So it says, right? So Rabbi Yudan, Tiftab Mesuyam, Mishal Betabang Gamliel, Shayamit Kaven, and this part should be cut out. Right? The thing is that the Chashlomar Shem of the Shiraim, Hinoflit. Right? So that's the next part. But he says, what it is, that Rabban Gamliel, they used to have a minhag, that when they would bring their machatzita shekel, they would say, they would give a very special, beautiful shekel and say, make sure that you have in mind for me when you bring us. I want you to have my zechut in mind when you bring it. So this guy did the same thing. He took his friend's shekel, but he went and he said, I want you to have in mind specifically for me. If they didn't have in mind for any particular person, it would be credited to the original guy. But since his friend, quote, we'll put it in quotes, you know, supposed friend took his coin and said, please have in mind for me when you do it. So he's stealing it basically from his friend and that's why it would, it would be stealing. Now the question is, what about the fact that maybe that coin won't even go to a korban? In other words, if the coin goes actually to a korban, so then we understand that the person really did utilize money that was supposed to go to a korban and he used it for his own benefit. But a lot of the machatziot shekel don't go to a korban. 
a lot of them just end up being left over and they go to other maintenance projects and they don't go to, to the korban. So, so how can you consider the guy to have committed meila because maybe it didn't really go to a korban. Maybe that didn't happen. And we know that once something becomes shiraim, once something isn't actually going to be used for the korban, it's a leftover. There is no meila to misuse it. So if my friend's coin anyway is going to become part of that extra backlog of machatziot shekel, it wouldn't have gone for a korban anyway. So I wouldn't have really committed. How can you say I committed meila? By giving it in my name. It, it wasn't really going to be for a korban anyway, so it'll be okay. So it says, no, again, it will tell you. For, so, maybe you'll say it's like Rabbi Meir. Right? Possibly could be going according to Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says even the leftover shkalim. If a person uh, benefits from them that's not supposed to, there's also me'ilav for that, even though it's not going to be used for korban. Since it could have been, if it ended up in one of those three containers, it would have been. So, therefore, we consider it to have me'ilah also. Or, another possibility, And this is where it should say, That Rabban Gamliel and his family had a custom that they would say, Make sure my coin gets into the boxes. I want to know that my korban, that a korban is being brought with my money. I don't want it to just become part of the general fund. Right? right? So, if the guy said that, so then he knows that the coin that he took from his friend that was going to be machatzit shekel is definitely going to be used for a korban. So then he's going to be liable either when they separate it out to buy the korban according to Rabbi Shimon or when they actually bring a korban with it. But he's going to be liable for the, uh, for the machatzit for the me'ila, for me'ila, for basically taking hekdesh that belonged to his friend and satisfying his obligation with that, uh, with that, um, Coin, and then it says, "Man, and what's his benefit?" The point is that since the pers- the man, what is the benefit of the friend? In other words, what is the benefit that the friend gets from taking his friend's machatzit In the end, the bed gets the same amount of money, right? So, what, what did he really take away? He gave in his name. Something to the Beit HaMikdash that really was in somebody else's name. Let's say you take a check for $1,000 and you give it to the synagogue and you say, oh, this is my, uh, here's a donation. Really, some other came from some other guy's account. What's the difference to the synagogue? They got the same $1,000. You didn't take anything away. But the answer is, since they, the Beit HaMikdash could have gone and confiscated the guy's property to force him to pay the Machatzit shekel, and now he's off the hook from that. They're not going to look at his records anymore. That's the benefit that he got in giving the Machatzit shekel in his name, even though it's really his friend's. And when it comes to how is he committing milah, that's because he made sure that he said, make sure my machatzit shekel is one that can bring a korban from it. I want it to be. So he, he, that's why he ends up committing milah in that case, because he benefited financially from money that actually went to a korban. That's the reason why. Okay? And I guess we should just read the le- very, very last part so we're done. You cannot, if something's already holy, you can't put another Kiddusha on it. We know that already, right? So, how could the person possibly take Maser Shini or anything else and make it into Machatzit uh, Shekel? Because he takes a coin of Chulin. In other words, what he can do is he can take a, a money, money. He had Maser Shini, right? And he takes money. And he says, my Maser Sheni, wherever it is, I want that, that Maser Sheni Kiddushat to go on this other coin. And then that Maser Sheni money can become Machatzit shekel uh, money. But the thing is, now he has to use the value of that and eat the same amount of Maser Sheni that he would have eaten with the original money 
uh, with the other money. But he, he switched basically one Kiddusha for the other. He has to remove the Kiddusha from the Maser Sheni money in order to make it Machatzit Shekel. But then he has to replace it with an equivalent amount of, of money that whatever he buys in Yerushalayim to fulfill the Mitzvah of Maser Sheni, he'll be fulfilling with the same amount of food. And that's also true with the, where it says Dmei Shvi'it. Same as if he had money of Shvi'it, that he had Kiddushat Shvi'it of Shemitah, he could transfer it to another coin, but he has to make sure that whatever he transfers it to fulfills the same uh, amount brings about the same amount of eating of shvi'it as the original money did. Okay.